The perfect murder weapon. Is it a gun? An icicle? Ingested poison or brute strength? In India, a man thought he had the perfect weapon to kill his wife and the mother of his child. His weapon of choice was none of the above, but it worked. He used snakes. This is Twisted Travel and True Crime. Welcome aboard. I currently live and host from my sailboat, so you're going to hear the sounds of water lapping the hull today. I hope you find it as enjoyable as I do. Today we're going to travel to India. It's the seventh biggest country in the world and contains the second largest population. It's home to the mysterious Skeleton Lake, which is located about 16,000 feet above sea level. This lake is frozen for most of the year, but on warmer days it reveals a horrifying sight. There are hundreds of human skeletons, some with flesh still attached, submerged in the lake. Some people believe all these bodies were from one catastrophic event that happened more than a thousand years ago, but a new genetic analysis showed that this wasn't one mass event, but several human deposits spread out over a thousand years. Some believe the site held significance for groups of various religious beliefs. Maybe some were brought there for burial, or maybe they were just ill-fated explorers killed by their own curiosity. India also brought us the popular game, Snakes and Ladders. It was created to teach morals and lessons about karma in a way that young children would understand and remember. Suraj Kumar must not have played this game, or learned those moral lessons. He and his future wife, Uthra, who went only by her first name, met through a matchmaking service. Uthra's brother, Vishu, who also uses only one name, said that they wanted to find someone who would make her happy. She was a girl who was a little bit different. She had a mild learning disability, and we wanted a man who would take care of her. Although Uthra was labeled as having a disability, she had a bank account and could operate it. She was very pretty and was physically able. She could look after herself and others. She could cook, do household chores, but just didn't learn as quickly as some of her friends. She graduated with a 10th grade standard, though she was granted more time when taking her exams. Uthra, at 25, had a close relationship with her family and communicated easy enough as to her treatment, wants, and needs. Suraj Kumar, a 27-year-old bank clerk, did not come from a financially stable background. His father was a rickshaw driver and his mother a housewife. He had a love of animals, and his pets included rabbits, dogs, and goats. When Uttra and her parents determined that it was time for her to wet, Uttra's father had instructed a marriage broker to find a bridegroom who was compatible with her disability and all. Arranged marriages reportedly account for 90% of marriages in India, and this one was no different, except that differently abled people in India feel like they are invisible, and the culture makes finding a match more difficult. It isn't unexpected that 50-60% to 60 of men and women surveyed said they would not marry someone with a physical disability, even less of someone with a mental disability. Marriages between able-bodied people and disabled are not encouraged. Uthra's parents were likely thrilled when they found a potential match for her. When the two met, Suraj seemed to like and get along with Uthra. His family members came and met with her. Terms were discussed, and eventually an engagement ceremony was conducted. 
As part of a future marriage, a dowry was agreed upon, and it was a hefty one. Siraj made his demands, in which he and his wife were to live with his parents, although the offer was given that they live with hers. He also was given about $32,000 worth of gold, a new car, and 400,000 rupees, which is just over 5,000 U.S. They also agreed on a monthly payment of 8,000 rupees, or just over $100, to help look after their daughter. Siraj was thrilled with this agreement. In 2018, the couple were married. On the wedding day, as is tradition, Uthra was adorned with 96 sovereigns of gold ornaments. The couples were gifted more money, and the agreed-upon car was turned over to the newly wedded couple. The initial two or three months of the marriage progressed as expected, but it wasn't long before Siraj and his extended family made several requests towards Uthra's parents. These demands were for things like household appliances, car maintenance, furniture, cash for constructing a garage at their house. Siraj wanted money for furnishing the upstairs bedroom, for doing maintenance work on the house. He even asked for admission fees for an MBA course for his sister. Uthra's parents met all these demands, hoping to keep the marriage and ensure that Uthra was treated well. They felt their contributions were worth the effort, especially when Uthra got pregnant and then successfully delivered a beautiful baby boy. After his birth, Uthra's parents, who I'm going to call V and M because, gosh darn it, I have no idea how to say them. Maybe it's Vyanyasanan and Manimamegale. I probably botched those badly, so V and M it is. They paid the entire hospital expense, but that wasn't all. V purchased a goat in order to provide the new baby with goat milk and paid for the building of a goat shed. Once again, her parents did this willingly. They thought as long as she was happy and being well cared for, they would endure some of the financial burden. They had a beautiful grandson to adore after all. Even with the financial kindness, Siraj didn't seem to feel this was enough, but maybe money wasn't the real problem. He began to complain to his friends about Utra. When he was drinking with one of his closest buddies, he started up with his complaints again. His friend suggested that Siraj should behave with love and affections toward her, and asked him if something else might be wrong in the relationship. Siraj replied that even though his child was born, he couldn't take his wife and son to any outings because he was ashamed of her. He then asked his friend if he would tolerate a mentally disabled girl if he was given her weight in gold at the wedding. Uthra, for her part, felt that she could tolerate life with her husband and in-laws until her son was born. When her baby came home from the hospital, she was rarely allowed to care for him or even hold him. Siraj, his mother and sister, took over care of the baby and wouldn't let Uthra help. This angered and frustrated her. She tried over and over to help and care for her own baby, but wasn't successful. Less than two years into the marriage, she had decided she'd had enough. She didn't like living there, and she felt like she was being treated poorly. When she told her father, he and her mother went to visit the couple at the home. Once there, they noted that Siraj's parents and sister behaved in a very cool manner towards Uthra, and Siraj was a passive spectator. It was decided at that moment that they would leave the house with Uthra and her child. As they were preparing to leave, Uthra's father, V, told Siraj that Uthra would divorce him and V demanded that Siraj return the cash, the car, and the gold that he has taken as dowry, 
as this is standard practice. Immediately upon hearing those words, Suraj, who had been mute until this moment, stepped forward, taking his son into his arms. He promised her parents that there wouldn't be any more problems. V and M considered this and spoke with Suraj's family. The families mutually decided that Utra and her son would stay at the house. One month later, they were invited back for lunch. On that day, as Utra's father was sitting in his daughter's home, Utra came up to him and mentioned that a snake rescuer had come to the house a few days before, and that Suraj and the rest of his family had taken the snake from him and handled it. All the family members, except Utra, had touched the snake and talked about it. She then told her father that two days prior to their visit, but after the snake rescuer had stopped by, Suraj had asked her to go upstairs and grab his mobile phone from the upstairs bedroom. When she was climbing the stairs, she saw a snake on the staircase landing. Of course, this scared the pee right out of her, and she screamed. Suraj came running and quickly caught the snake. He put it in a bag and took it away. V asked Suraj for more details about the snake, and his response was that it was just a harmless baby rat snake, and the subject was dropped. Utra's parents thoroughly enjoyed spending that time with their daughter and grandson. Three days later, at three in the morning, M and V got a phone call, and they were told their daughter had been hurt, but they weren't sure what was wrong. Shiraz's sister had placed the call and told them that they should come over right away because something was seriously wrong with Utra. They jumped up, dressed, and went to the house as quickly as possible. On the way, V tried to call Siraj three or four times, but Siraj never picked up the phone. Once at the house, Utra's parents were told that their daughter and son-in-law were on the way to the hospital. M and V raced to the hospital where Utra had been admitted to the ICU. They had no choice but to wait outside the ICU until Siraj could come and tell them what was going on. When he finally emerged, they clamored to find out what was going on and how their daughter was doing. Suraj told them that around 9 p.m., Utra went outside to wash some dirty baby clothes. She was bitten by something, but whatever had bitten her couldn't be found. She complained that her leg hurt and she had a headache, so Suraj gave her some medicine and they went to bed. The pain intensified over time until it was determined she needed to go to the hospital. The next day, the doctor who treated Utra stated that a highly poisonous Russell Viper had bitten her. The Russell Viper is one of India's deadliest snakes and accounts for thousands of deaths every year. It's fast and vicious and can strike a victim who is five feet away within seconds. Its fangs are long and they perform one job very efficiently, a very rapid injection of poison. The pain from the bite is the first thing you would notice. There would be spontaneous bleeding from the wound, and it won't stop. The blood doesn't clot. Neurological symptoms, including having trouble breathing at a metallic, rubbery, or minty taste in the mouth, can happen. Numbness and tingling in the mouth and around the tongue and scalp also can occur. Then painfully, in time, comes kidney and heart failure. Speedy treatment is essential to save a victim's life. Utra had been in critical condition when she was brought to the hospital. She was in such bad shape that she had to stay in the ICU for 16 days before being moved to long-term care. It was only then that she was finally able to speak to her parents. They hadn't been allowed to see her because of COVID regulations. She told them that she had never left the house that day, 
In fact, she hadn't even been outside. Her parents thought that it was strange and wondered if she had forgotten because of all the recent trauma she had incurred. They came and visited her often. Sometimes they would see Siraj sitting by her bed, keeping her company and perusing his phone as the staff took good care of her. She had 52 days of care before she was allowed to leave the hospital. Her last surgery was a skin graft to her calf because all the muscle tissue and skin around the wound had necrotized and died. This was the third surgery on her leg, and it meant she was unable to walk upon her release. At the time of discharge, she was not prescribed any medication, but she was told that qualified medical staff would have to dress the wound twice every week for several more weeks. Uthra was taken to her parents' house to recover. Her wound dressings were done at a local hospital. Uthra's family footed the entire hospital bill and all her wound treatments. Her last required wound dressing was done on May 5th of 2020, and on that day, as usual, Siraj was in a big hurry to leave the hospital. He left for his home that day, but said he would stop by to see Uthra the next day. On May 6th, he told her parents he wouldn't be coming by, but then surprised them showing up that evening around 6.30 p.m. He said he wanted to check on Uthra and stay the night. He went in to visit her in her bedroom on the first floor. Uthra normally slept in one of the upstairs bedrooms, but since she couldn't walk, they lovingly gave her the first floor bedroom. Her parents and brother took the upper rooms. When Siraj arrived, his mother-in-law offered him some juice. He turned it down and instead asked for tea. She made some up along with some snacks and served it to the couple on the first floor bedroom where Uthra lay recovering. In the bedroom, there were two cots one on the east side of the wall and one on the west side. Uthra slept on the bed, which was further from the window and closer to the adjoining dressing room. Uthra's mother left the couple to catch up, but after a short while, as she was working in the kitchen, Siraj asked for juice after all. He wanted to give it to Uthra. This surprised her mother because she'd offered the juice earlier and Uthra had turned it down. Siraj told her he would make sure she drank it. He took the juice into the bedroom and came right back out. He then went outside and returned with a black shoulder bag, which he took with him into the bedroom. Around 9 p.m., the family ate dinner together, except for Uthra, who was served her food in her bedroom. After she finished eating, Uthra went to lay down, which was unusual because she normally liked to watch TV with the rest of the family before bed. Her mother cleaned the floor and windowsills with Dettol, which is an antimicrobial agent. It has quite an odor to it, so she opened the windows for a couple of minutes to let the room air out. Then she closed them, because Uthra never liked sleeping with the window open. She closed the bedroom door and let her daughter sleep. Around midnight, the entire family retired to their rooms. Siraj with his wife and Uthra's parents and brother to their upstairs bedrooms. The next morning, V woke up early and was preparing tea for everyone in the kitchen. Siraj showed up and washed the juice glass he had brought down with him. He told V that he couldn't sleep well, so he had gotten up early. Utra's mother woke to the noise of her husband talking, and she came downstairs, passing Utra's room. She noticed the door was ajar, and when she entered the room, she immediately noticed her daughter was sleeping in an odd posture. Her mouth was wide open, and her arm hung off the bed. She walked over and began to shake her daughter, but got no response. She screamed for help. 
Her husband and son rushed into the room where they found Uthra motionless. Siraj entered the room after them. It was decided that Siraj and Uthra's brother would take her to the hospital immediately. Once again, due to the COVID pandemic, only Siraj was able to interact with the doctor and enter the emergency room. He immediately returned to Uthra's brother, telling him that once again she'd been bitten by a snake. The doctor had instructed them to search the house to figure out what kind, so they could give her the proper treatment. They set to this task right away. They went home and carefully searched the room. There they found a snake lying inside the dressing room attached to the bedroom. Suraj saw the snake and fetched kerosene and a stick. He poured the kerosene under the dresser, which forced the snake out. He then killed it by beating it. It looked like a cobra. Unfortunately, while they were home searching, the doctor called Suraj to tell him that Uthra had died. A post-mortem exam was done later that day, and immediately afterwards, Uthra was cremated under Suraj's direction. This was less than 24 hours after her death. Uthra's family was devastated. She had been a beloved daughter and sister. Their hearts had been broken. When a ceremony was done in order to honor Uthra, Suraj was appropriately crying and sad. But just a few hours later, even in their grief, Uthra's family noticed him happy and laughing with his friends. And in the days following her death, he seemed unaffected by her absence. When Siraj was asked how did the snake get in, and was there anything else he could remember about the night, he stated that he'd got up, closed all the windows except for one during the night. The snake must have gotten in one of the open windows. This was odd. His behavior was odd. And both these things aroused some suspicion, because that night Uthra's mother specifically recalled closing the windows after cleaning the room. This was something she did every night. Over and over, it was habit. Besides, the air conditioning was on, so why would the windows be left open? Suraj must have sensed some suspicion, because he had repeatedly told Uttra's father that it was because of a serpent curse that Uttra had twice been bitten by snakes. He even told her father that Uttra had repeatedly dreamed of being bitten and killed by a snake. This ridiculous story made V even more suspicious. The day before the customary ritual, after cremation, Suraj told Uttra's father that he would look after his son, but he wanted to keep receiving the financial aid that had been given to him to care for Uttra, only now it would be used to help care for his son, V's precious grandson. This request deeply disturbed V. After talking it over with his wife and son, he decided that he would tell Suraj to sell the car and gold ornaments that had been Uttra's dowry. He wanted Suraj to deposit the cash in the name of their baby boy. It would be a trust of some sort, which couldn't be spent, but would draw interest over the next few years until his son became of age. Suraj didn't respond to the suggestion at first. The next day, Suraj told his father-in-law that he was reluctant to sell the car, but V held his ground and was insistent that he sell the car and the gold. Suraj became angry and demanded that all the money that was supposed to be for Uttra and her care should now be his and he should be able to do with it what he liked. A week after her death, the two families decided to sit down and discuss the matter further. It was decided then that Suraj would sell the gold. 
He would be accompanied the next day when he took the money to the bank to deposit it for his son. The following day, in the evening, Suraj's mother brought her grandson to Uttra's parents' house. There she began behaving strangely. She was seen pushing the toddler to the ground and then pretending to fall to the ground herself. She insisted that she be taken to the hospital, where a doctor examined her and found that she was just fine. Regardless, Suraj and his mother decided they would stay at the hospital by their own request. While there, Utra's mother called her father and said that a police inspector had come to their home. He told them that Suraj's sister had filed a complaint to the police, saying that Suraj and his mother were being threatened and detained by Utra's parents. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. V had had his suspicions, but he was trying to suppress them. He knew now that something was very wrong and that these people were not trustworthy. Deep down, he believed his daughter had been killed. In that moment, he lost all faith in Siraj and didn't delay filing his complaint against Siraj. It stated that he murdered Utra. There were just too many coincidences, which he outlined for the police. This is when the investigation into Uthra's murder began. The first thing police did was to look at Siraj's phone and computer records. They learned that he spent a lot of time searching for and studying videos about poisonous snakes. In late 2019, Siraj appeared to develop an obsession with snakes. He spent hours online watching YouTube movies, one of which was hosted by a snake handler living in India named Vava Suresh. Vava has a YouTube channel which has almost half a million subscribers. The videos show him calmly interacting with a variety of snakes, including the extremely potent Russell Viper, which is one of the most aggressive snakes in Asia. He is widely known for rescuing snakes from human habitats in Kerala, where he is from. Further investigation found that Siraj reached out to a local snake handler who oddly had the same last name as the YouTuber. His name was Shavarakavu Suresh. They started exchanging WhatsApp messages. When the police interviewed him, he said that Siraj had asked him to come to his area and do a local snake awareness class. The handler said he didn't have any snakes in his possession at the time, but would call back when he got a hold of one. It wasn't long before he rescued a Russell Viper from a nearby building. The snake handler closed it in a plastic jar and live-streamed it on Facebook. The snake was four feet long and was a female. He forwarded the video to Siraj, and Siraj once again requested an awareness class, to which the snake charmer replied he would need cash for his expenses. The charmer also asked Siraj if he would be by himself for the class or if there would be many attendees. His response was that there would be many. When he showed up to lead the class, he found out that the many attendees, and I say that sarcastically, because the people who were there were just Siraj's family members. After the lecture about snake identification, the dangers of poisonous snakes and safety precautions, he let the family members handle a non-venomous snake. Afterwards, Siraj took him aside privately and told him that because of the large number of rats in the nearby field, he wanted to purchase a Russell Viper. In fact, he wanted to purchase the one the snake charmer had rescued just a few days earlier. They agreed on a price, and once the snake was delivered, Siraj stopped sending or reading messages from the snake charmer. 
He also didn't look at the YouTube links that were sent to him. The snake charmer didn't hear from Siraj again until April 20th or 21st of 2020. Siraj now asked for a cobra. He said he knew how to handle one and knew how to care for it and source food for it. It was just a couple days later that a cobra was captured. Videos of the snake were also recorded and released on social media. The snake charmer kept it in a PVC pipe in his house until he had time to purchase a plastic jar from a shop named Daily Fresh. It had a distinctive red lid on it, and he drilled holes into the sides before placing the snake inside and selling the snake to Siraj. They then parted ways, and once again, Siraj didn't look at any of the videos or messages from the snake charmer going forward. Then, on May 9th, around 11 a.m., the snake charmer was riding his motorcycle with his son when his phone rang. He couldn't answer it right away, and the phone rang several more times. The calls were coming from an unknown number. When he returned the call, he was surprised to hear Siraj's voice. Siraj warned him that he should not tell anyone about the sale of the snake. He also told the charmer that his wife had died. The snake charmer asked him if he had used a snake to kill her. Siraj responded yes, and that he better not say a word because he would go to jail too as an accomplice. When the charmer was asked by police why he didn't come forward with this information, he said he was too scared. Police began to piece together the murder by snake. Siraj had been seen outside the bedroom window of Utra's house, pushing branches around, trying to get them closer to the window. He was also seen stacking things up near the wall of her room. These seemed like a deliberate effort to make the snake bites seem more innocent than they were. Police decided it was time to confront Siraj. When presented with the evidence they had gathered, he admitted that he had killed her, but didn't admit how. It was believed that he tried more than once. In fact, the third time was the charm. The first was the snake in the stairwell. The second time he had drugged Uthra and had thrown the Russell Viper onto her sleeping body. The snake bit her leg. The third time he made sure to starve the cobra for days so it would be hungry and ready to strike. He once again drugged Uthra, threw the snake onto her sleeping body. But it wouldn't bite. He tried again. Nothing. Then he forced the cobra's mouth open and forced the fangs into his sleeping wife's arm, not once, but twice. She still hadn't recovered from her first snake bite, and the two cobra bites were certainly enough to kill her. Typically, when a cobra bites, the pain is felt all over, not just at the bite site, and the pain is extreme. The next stage is vomiting and not just once. The toxins kick in, and eventually the person stops breathing. Sometimes necrosis sets in, and the cells and muscle around the bite begin to die. Even after amputation of the limb, the venom can still spread. If there's a silver lining in this case, perhaps it's that the drugs Uthra was given likely kept her unconscious and unaware of the agony her body was experiencing. When it was time for trial, a snake expert was brought in. The expert said that cobras don't typically bite unless they're extremely provoked, and after 8 p.m. they're typically dormant. They're most active in that area between 5 and 8. Another item of note was that there were two pairs of bite marks on Uthra's arm. 
The measurement between the teeth marks was 0.9 and 1.1 inches, which is a lot bigger than the everyday width of a cobra fang, which is usually 0.6 to 0.63 inches. This indicated that the cobra's upper jaw had been pushed as if it was being milked. In the courtroom, an expert ruled out that the cobra entered Uther's room on its own. Cobras can only lift themselves one-third of their size from the ground, which means that a 60-inch cobra, the one that bit Uther, would have only been able to raise itself about 20 inches, or about 50 centimeters, which wasn't sufficient enough to enter the home windows. All the other holes in the room had been sealed. Lastly, the snake expert said that cobras very rarely strike twice, and they definitely wouldn't do it if they weren't being provoked. The animals instinctively spare their venom. That wasn't all the specialist had to say, though. He said that Russell vipers like dry landscapes. Siraj's house was constructed on a marshland. By the way, Russell vipers hadn't been seen in that area in more than 15 years. They can't climb either, especially not on a smooth surface like stairs. They are strictly ground-dwelling. Facts. The police dug up the carcass of the cobra at Utra's home. An autopsy was performed on it, and the autopsy confirmed that its stomach was empty. This meant that the snake had been kept in confinement. Police also recovered a clear container with a red lid that had holes in it. The snake charmer later identified it as the container he had sold to Siraj. The DNA from the dead snake was compared to the DNA found in the container, and it was a match. Snake bite deaths are not uncommon in India, with 1.2 million fatalities from 2000 to 2019, according to the World Wellbeing Group. Her death would have been written off as an accident if Siraj and his family hadn't been so greedy. His motive was simple, to be able to marry someone else and keep Uthra's large dowry. Siraj and his family had withdrawn her dowry, the gold and the money from the bank, a week prior to her death. He had buried it on the family property. Some was dug up, but most of it hasn't been found. The jury found Siraj guilty. He was given two life sentences. His mother, father, and sister were charged with destruction of evidence, conspiracy, and domestic violence. Months after his conviction, Uther's household still is in disbelief that the person they trusted to take care of their daughter had plotted to kill her. They commend the police and prosecution who did an amazing job, even though this was a rare case. Their focus now is to make sure that Utra's two-year-old son grows up happy and remembers his mother for the loving, caring woman that she was. When anyone shows her a picture of his mother, he smiles and says, Utra Ama, recognizing his mother. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the case, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Tell a friend or help support the podcast monetarily. There are links in the show description to tell you how, as well as links to social media and my resources. A special thank you today goes out to Melissa, who says, Wow, this is a great pod. And to Kay Pitt, who says, Well-presented crime podcast with a travel twist. Recommend. Thank you. Lastly, from Rachel T., Sandy has such a soothing voice, and I look forward to her next podcast. 
Thank you for all the research, Sandy, of each and every podcast. Oftentimes I listen to crime podcasts because if something were to happen to me, I would hopefully know how to survive, if that makes sense. Thank you for sharing their stories so well with us. Well, you are certainly welcome, and that's one of the many reasons I enjoy true crime, too. Thank you for taking the time to write such a nice review. To all of you wonderful listeners, I'd like to wish you fair winds and following seas.